Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. For the last few weeks, we have been preparing for Lent. We have seen Zacchaeus. We have seen the Pharisee and the publican. And we have seen the prodigal son. And today, our gospel reading seems to take us on a hard right compared to the gospels that we've had to prepare us for Lent. And I've been thinking and preparing for Lent. I've been thinking about food. I've been thinking about my time, my schedule. I've been thinking about my prayer life, what I'm going to do with my prayer life. Adding, of course, the prayer of St. Ephraim, one of my favorite prayers. Adding in maybe a few devotional things here or there. Thinking about what's going on within my soul, the things that I need to attend to. Then we come to this, this gospel. And I feel like the direction that I have been intending is suddenly... There's a question mark or a question put to me. The gospel starts with the scene of the Son of Man, our Lord Jesus Christ, in glory with the angels upon his throne. A scene that you and I are very familiar with because we come to this throne in our prayers, but especially as we gather together this morning and every time we gather together for the divine liturgy. But this is at the end of time. This is when all the nations will be gathered together and there'll be a separation, the sheep from the goats. And what does the king say? What does our Lord say to the sheep on his right hand? He says, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The question that came to me in reading this passage that I think reorients very much or at least adds the fullness of what the kingdom is. So if you noticed in all of my preparation for Lent, I was very concerned with my food and my time and my internal life and what's going on with me. I didn't even say anything about my family, who I'm going to have to do (laughs) the scheduling of the food, (laughs) that I'm going to have to talk about the schedule, that I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to get some of those extra devotions in. For the sheep at our Lord's right hand, what he says that they are doing that allows them to inherit the kingdom, that makes them blessed, has really nothing to do with what I was just talking about, or at least 
it's happening, but there's something else that they're doing that I and my focus has not been on. They see someone hungry and they give them food. They see someone thirsty, they give them a drink. They see strangers and they take them in. They see the naked. And you can see, as I've seen throughout my life, those, maybe not naked, but those who are completely destitute with nothing. And the sheep clothe them. When someone is sick, the sheep visit them. When someone's in jail or prison, the sheep visit them. Christ's sheep are outward focused. They find and see and they act to those who have little to nothing. They are focused on service. They are focused on sacrifice. They are focused in the same way as the attitude that Paul in the epistle draws for us. In Corinth, you had a lot of arguments. I can say a lot of arguments. All sorts of crazy stuff was happening in Corinth. You can think of something bad, and you can probably look through the first, uh, the two letters of, that we have to Corinth, and you can find it there. And what Paul is dealing with is an issue about food sacrificed to idols. Some people have a different position, and other people have a different position. But at the core of the challenge that Paul sees here, he sees that it's about service towards the other. The verse that jumps out is, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, whether I think this uh, meat has been sacrificed to idols or not, whether or not I can go to the temple and eat and not eat food sacrificed to idols, a.k.a. to demons... And I have the freedom to do that. But for the sake of my brother, in my freedom, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. The freedom that we see in Christ's sheep that Paul puts before us is that we all have freedom, even when it comes down to Christian liberty or Christian freedom, to be able to do certain things that maybe others are not able to handle in their weakness. Likewise, we have our own things, hopefully we're self-aware, of our own weaknesses. That if we were to see a brother or a sister in Christ come close to, might be stu- make a stumbling block for us, might trip us up, might throw us off. But the freedom of Christ's sheep is to reject the opportunity to express Or exercise that freedom and to even give up the entire diet of meat. Now, of course, this has resonances for us as this is the farewell Sunday to meat. But the gospel behind that is more than just the giving up of meat. The gospel behind that is more than an increase of services for us to come to. The gospel is beyond us having just a tithe of the year where we do a little bit more. The gospel asks of us the entirety of our freedom to serve and love each other, 
for what is more challenging. In some ways, it's very challenging to give up meat for a time. In some ways, it's very challenging to increase our <laughs> prayers to come to services more. But even more challenging is actually loving those that are hard to love, sacrificing and acting for those who in their freedom might do things to harm us or do things that we don't approve of or do things that we don't understand. One of the keys to the, of Christ's sheep and the way in which they acted towards the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned, is that they didn't even really see that they were doing this for the sake of Christ, per se. Right? They say, Lord, where did we see you hungry? Because you're talking as if we've done this to you, but we've just done this to the brothers and sisters or to those that we encountered. Their natural way of existing was such that they just served. They didn't have to think about it, double back, reason themselves around to thinking, okay, I really need to do this. The freedom was there, and they acted. St. Maria of Paris, whom we have uh, an icon over here, she's infamous uh, for being the cigarette-smoking nun, but she's more infamous for the challenge that she presents to us, especially as we come to this judgment, this day of judgment, this reading, this thinking about the last day. Because she phrases it, she says, you know, our Lord is not going to ask us how many prostrations we did, is not going to ask us how well we fasted, or whether we kept to the strict word or letter of the Tipicon. But he's going to ask us, how did you love? Now I want to clarify, just because these questions seem to uh, undermine or to direct away from, in no sense uh, is St. Maria or the tradition saying, don't do those things. The tradition, the whole reason why we are entering into Lent, why we come and we have this gospel lesson for this day, is to prepare our hearts so that we become like those sheep, where it is natural for us to make food, to give a cup of cold water, to greet and take in strangers, to clothe the naked, to visit the sick, and come to the, and visit those in the prisons. All of our spiritual exercises and the things that we do, the ascesis, the asceticism, right? This is athletic language. You don't, do, uh, you don't do all of the preparation for running a marathon or all the drills for playing basketball for the sake of that, right? You do that to run the marathon, to actually play basketball and hopefully win, right? That's why you do dribble, 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 pass, pat, over and over and over again. That is what our spiritual disciplines are. That's why every year we come to Lent and we come and we do more prostrations all the way to the ground. We increase our prayers. We increase our attendance. We do all of this for the sake of our soul, 
but especially for the sake of learning how best to love and to act in the world. The way we live now is preparatory for the way that we will be in eternity. St. Nicholas Cavasilis talks about our time now as like a womb. We're all basically babes in Christ who are growing up, and when we come to the end, that will be where things will end for us. Where will we be? Will we have grown into the fullness of Christ? Will we have grown into his stat- the fullness of his stature, to the love, to the wisdom, to the sacrifice of our Lord? This is the challenge of remembering the end, that there is an end, and that what we do now has infinite and eternal consequences. Let us prepare ourselves. Let us enter into Lent in the fullness that we can, but also to remember and to put before us, especially we think of the pillars of Lent, right? Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And usually which is the one that falls off? Maybe fasting (laughs) can be challenging. Prayer is always a challenge to wrestle with God and to pay attention and to ask for what we really need and to allow him to enter fully into our heart. But almsgiving is also something that is so challenging to us because it questions our faith. It questions our hope, where our hope is and what our true love is. May we encounter Christ everywhere. May we find him in all of the places that we don't think that we may find him, so that we may respond in love and sacrifice to him throughout the world. For it is to him that we give glory, honor, and worship to his Father and to his Spirit, always, now, and ever, and into ages of ages. Amen. Amen.